The message this morning is entitled, Speak Plainly, and uh, certainly I want to speak plainly in the message. We want to talk about this morning the idea that Jesus is the Christian's hope, but Jesus is not the Christian's excuse. What I mean is suppose that you struggle with a sin or a temptation or an addiction. What is Jesus to you? What is he to me? He is hope. In Jesus, there is hope in the case of any temptation, any weakness, any issue. But Jesus has never been an excuse. Turn your Bibles to Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. And we're looking at verse 27. It's speaking here of the holy city. It says, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles, neither whatsoever works abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let me just ask you a question. Can you go to heaven as a liar? Is it very clear in the passage? Well, what about as someone who works an abomination? Could you go to heaven as someone who works an abomination? But we hardly know what to make of that word abomination. I want to show you one application of it. Turn your Bibles to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 17. We're speaking plainly this morning, and we've plainly stated that those that are liars cannot go to heaven as liars. Proverbs 17 and verse 15. He that justifieth the wicked, and he that condemns the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. Let me say that even more simple. If there's someone who is on his way to heaven, and you by your words and acts condemn him, that misrepresentation of God is an abomination. It's an abomination to say to one of God's children that is on his way, that is being faithful, to tell him that he's lost or doomed or however you might express it, to condemn the righteous is wrong. It's an abomination. In the Middle Ages, that happened often. Anytime you've heard of a martyr, that's happened to him. Who's a martyr? It's a man who was just and right, but someone condemned him. And what does God say about condemning a righteous person? It's an abomination. But there is another abomination in Proverbs 17. And what is that abomination? It's to tell the man who is wicked that everything is okay. Frankly, it's not true. It's not true that if you're living a wicked life, that if you are out of harmony with God's will, that everything is okay. And we're going to look at a few passages this morning that just demonstrate in plain language what it means to be wicked. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. That's the last page of your Bible, the last inspired page of your Bible. You might have an appendix or a concordance after that. Proverbs 22, verse 15. 
And speaking again of the holy city, it says, For without, that is outside of the city, are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and makes, what does it say? A lie. So those are big words and some of them. Let's just explain them briefly. First of all, the word dog there is not a reference to canines. It's a reference to a class of people. And uh, it would take a while this morning to go over it, but you might be familiar with one use of that metaphor that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember that he said, don't cast your pearls before swine, don't give that which is holy unto dogs, lest they turn again and rend. He was speaking there of a class of people who, shall I define it for you? Peter talks about the same metaphor. He talks about dogs that turn back and eat their own vomit. He says, he's speaking of people who after they have known the way of righteousness, turn away from the commandment delivered unto them. That's the class of people Peter speaks of as dogs. Dogs, what about sorcerers? Can you go to heaven as someone who practices the dark arts, as someone who takes part in seances or this kind of activity? Sorcerers are outside the city. Uh, prostitutes and murderers and the worshipers of idols are outside the city. Turn back just a page and look at chapter 21, verse 8. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers, I'm just going to say prostitutes when I come to that word from now on, and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Can you go to heaven as a liar? No, you can't. You can't go to heaven as someone who works an abomination, as someone who is a whore. If you are someone who practices a secret sin of this nature, someone needs to talk to you plainly. But I want to say this even broadly. Those of you in this room, I think that some of you know people that you know people who dabble in sorcery or who are promiscuous or who are dishonest. If you know someone like that, I can't think of something that is more hurtful than to let someone who's lost go on being lost without a fair warning. This is why Christians need to speak plainly. You're right here in Revelation. We ought to look at two verses on the positive side. Look at verse 7. You just looked at Proverbs 21, verse 8. Look at verse 7. He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So those are the ones that make it. It's the overcomers. And the ones that don't, those are the fearful and the unbelieving. Look back at chapter 22 at verse 14. Probably on the same page for you. Blessed are they that do his commandments, 
that they may have right to the tree of life, and that they may enter in through the gates into the city. Now, if you have a New International Version, then the, that verse would say something different. It would say those that wash their robes. But frankly, it's the same class. Those who wash their robes are the ones that keep his commandments. Turn back in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians, Ephesians. So this is just before our scripture reading. Galatians chapter 5. And we're looking at verse 19. The famous verse in this chapter, or famous verses are verses 22 and 23. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. You may even have memorized those. We're going to look at what Paul describes before the fruits of the Spirit. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest or obvious, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Those four words, we could summarize them as immorality. Frankly, they have to do with all branches of immoral thought and behavior. Verse 20, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance. Variance, that is an, a willingness to be to be at odds with your brother. Emulations, that would be keeping up with the Joneses. Wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, that is teaching false doctrines. Envying, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, that's partying, and such like, listen carefully, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things, what does it say? Shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You know we need some plain speaking. Because frankly, right here in Arkadelphia, there are some people who commit adultery or live in an unclean way, or who have wrath or hatred or envying or drunkenness who think they're on their way to heaven. And it just isn't true. Turn forward maybe 10 or 12 pages to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, looking at verses 8 through 11. First Timothy 1, and looking at verses 8, this is just, yeah, literally probably 12 to 15 pages forward from where you just were. First Timothy 1, verse 8, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law, that is the Ten Commandments, the law is not made for a righteous man but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for prostitutes, for them that defile themselves with mankind, that is homosexuals, practicing homosexuals, for men-stealers, we would call those uh, kidnappers, for liars, for perjured persons, that is, people who 
lie under oath, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Who is the law made for? I think you can understand this passage. If you think about the, uh, law, the federal laws right here in the United States, they, for example, forbid me to sell cocaine. And they forbid me to contribute to the delinquency of a minor. And they forbid me to plan and execute a murder of my enemy. Do you think those are good laws? Yes. I think they're good laws. But truthfully, yesterday, those laws had no bearing on my life. They had no bearing in my life because I wasn't even considering doing any of those things. It doesn't mean that yesterday I wasn't obligated to obey federal law, but it means the federal law is hardly relevant when you are in compliance. Does that make sense to any of you what I'm trying to say? It's the same for the law of God. When you're living in compliance with his law, the law doesn't have much to do with you. But when you're disobedient, the law speaks plainly. The law has some things to say. Turn backwards, probably 25 pages or so, to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to look at verse 9. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? There are thousands of people within a short radius of right here that don't know that. Thousands of people that think that because of something that happened in their life in the past, that no matter what kind of person they are now, it's going to work out for them. Know you not that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves and mankind, that is, practicing homosexuals, both those words, nor thieves, nor covetous, that takes in many Americans right there, covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, and extortioner, the Greek word here, harpox, it, it's, it comes from the word grab, like to the person who takes or tries to, anyway, the grabber, an extortioner. N none of these shall inherit the kingdom of God. But look at the good news of verse 11. But such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Just listen to verse 11 plainly. You can't be justified by Jesus without having the other two blessings of verse 11. One of them is being sanctified, and one of them is being washed. And when you're washed and sanctified and justified, you're no longer doing those things that you were doing before. I'm just trying to speak plainly. We're going to look at one more passage like these. You can turn to Malachi chapter 2, but frankly, this passage, I think, is translated very awkwardly, 
so that it's very hard to understand. So I'm going to read you a paraphrase of it, and I'm just going to have you turn there so that you can at least know where it came from. Malachi chapter 2, and we're looking at verse 14. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 14. I don't want to make up a paraphrase as I go, so I've written it down for myself. I hope you understand what's about to happen. I don't want you to think that I believe that I have authority to write the Bible. I'm just trying to take some awkward English and say it in a way that we can understand. And what I'm saying to you isn't inspired, but what's in the Bible is inspired, but I'm telling you what I think it means. Do you follow what I'm trying to tell you? So, Malachi 2, yet you say, for what reason do you reject our offerings and refuse to be pleased with them? God answers, because the Lord has been witness of the unfaithful way you have treated the wife you married when you were young. Yet she remains your lawful companion and your wife to whom you made the covenant of marriage. Didn't God make one wife for Adam? And why only one? Was God low on the breath of life? No, it was because he was seeking godly children. So watch your attitude and don't be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. For Jehovah God says, I hate divorce. And I hate that some use marriage as a cover for violence. So watch your spirit and be faithful in thought and deed. Does God hate divorce? What's he looking for? He's looking for godly children. So he says, be faithful to your marriage vows. I'm trying to speak plainly. So what is, is there any good news in plain speaking? There is. I'd like us to turn to the good news. Probably back about 60 pages for you. It's Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, and looking at verse 7. Isaiah 55 and verse 7. Right near the middle of your Bible. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. When we speak plainly and say that immoral persons and liars and covetous persons and greedy greedy persons and hating persons, when we say that these people are not going to heaven, We don't mean their case is hopeless. We mean their case is bad. But it's not hopeless because if they will turn to God, he will have mercy on them. If they will turn away from their evil ways, he will abundantly pardon. I'm trying to bring you back to how we started. That is, Jesus is our hope. But he is not our excuse. So if you have a problem with lying... Is Jesus a hope to you? He is, Jesus is good hope in the sense that 
there's hope that you can turn away from your lies and you could be forgiven. But will he make an excuse? He will be no excuse for your lies if you hold on to them. If you struggle with immoral thoughts, Jesus is good hope. There's hope that if you turn to him that he will abundantly pardon, that he will have mercy on you. But is he an excuse for unholy thoughts? Jesus has never been an excuse. He is hope, but he's not an excuse. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. I want to come to this issue of your plain speaking, the way that you speak. Acts chapter 24. There are some reasons that Christians who know these things don't express them. And one of the reasons that we don't express the things we know is because it makes a very uncomfortable atmosphere in the conversation. Acts 24 and verse 25. And as he, that is Peter, and as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go your way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for you. Was it uncomfortable for Felix to hear about judgment to come? It was uncomfortable for him to hear about righteousness, which is what we've been reading about this morning. For him to hear about self-control. Felix wasn't living a righteous life. He was not controlling himself, so he was in danger of the judgment. And when Paul began to speak about these things, it was uncomfortable. And what Felix did is he decided to put off the conversation to a later time. But he never did get back to it. We can't, we can't fault the apostle for Felix trying to go away. But we can commend the apostle for having the courage to speak plainly to a man. Because I don't know if there was ever anyone before this or after this that spoke plainly to Felix. I don't know who would say to a man in the position of Felix that he was in danger of the judgment. Did Felix need to know it? Yes. Felix needed it. Turn forward to Hebrews chapter 12. Someone asked me even today where Hebrews is. It's right before James. It's before Peter. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're looking at verse 14. We're talking about some uncomfortable truths. Hebrews 12, and verse 14. The good news is the very next passage we'll look at is on the same page. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man will see the Lord. It happened a couple of years ago that I was at a funeral right here in Arkadelphia. It was quite an experience for me because it was a funeral of a murderer. And uh, the preacher at that funeral had known the murderer as a young girl. And he preached her right into heaven. I felt so bad at that funeral because there was a time when there was a good hope for that girl. 
but it wasn't at the funeral. There was a time when there was a good hope. Someone needed to do some plain speaking to her. Someone needed to sit down with her and talk to her and give her some help. Because without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Do you see it here in Hebrews 12? Look at chapter 13. Chapter 13 and verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all. In other words, there's no one that for whom it would be, there's no young person, I should say, for whom it would be a sin to get married. There is, I don't mean that when you get old it becomes wrong to get married, but I mean is that there are some people who are already married, and it would be wrong for them to marry again. Do you understand what I'm saying? But God doesn't forbid marriage to anyone. Who is marriage honorable for? Was it say it's for all? And the bad undefiled, that is, there is nothing sinful or dirty about the marriage experience. But whoremongers, that is, whores and adulterers, God will judge. You know, it isn't the physical experience that's dirty. It's the breaking of the law that governs that experience that's dirty. Do you see it in the verse? And will God judge those who violate the law? The verse says yes. We have two more verses to look at, two more passages. Look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 is one of the times when Jesus speaks about his intercession. We learn about the work of Jesus as priest. In the Old Testament, it mentions it. In the Old Testament, it describes it. In the book of Hebrews, it gives us lots of information. Revelation pictures it. But in Luke 12, Jesus speaks about his own intercession. And he indicates that it's not for everybody. At least ultimately. Look at Luke chapter 12 and verse 8. Also I say to you, whoever will confess me before men... Him will the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Do you know that there is a class of people that forfeit Christ's intercession by the way they live right here on earth? That is, they... They deny their relation to him by the way that they live. I don't want you to be confused because we've already read about them in many other passages this morning. We've read a description of the way that they live. And they deny him by their acts, by, their, by the wicked way they live. They deny that they are faithful to him. And will his intercession cover that class? It won't. But will it cover those that speak plainly in honor of him? Those who confess him before men, he will confess them before, he says here before, the angels, before the Father and the angels he will do. Turn forward maybe 20 pages to John chapter 12, our last passage today. John chapter 12. And looking at verse 42. We're going to look at one reason why some people did not confess Jesus while Jesus was on earth. 
John 12 and verse 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. Let's stop right there for a minute. I want you to understand the picture because it could be true even today. The chief rulers in religious circles are often studious people. They often do a lot of reading. And in the time of Jesus, there were a lot of studious people who did a lot of reading. And what the verse 42 says, did many of them believe? Verse 42 says many of them believed. But let's read on. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Jesus said that those who deny him before men will be denied in his intercession, but those that confess him, he will confess them before the heavenly beings. But here are men who believe, but they denied him. Why would you deny him if you believe? If you love the praise of men more than the praise of God, you will deny the Lord Jesus here on this earth. Let me say that in a different way. It is dangerous to love the praise of men more. It's dangerous for you to value the approval of men more than you value the approval of God. So a summary of all we've said. First of all, there's an abomination. The Bible speaks of a, a number of things that are an abomination. We didn't cover them exhaustively at all. We just looked at one. But the one abomination we looked at has two sides. One is to condemn the righteous, and the other is to excuse the wicked, to justify the wicked. Those are both an abomination. To make a lie, to love a lie, or to use a lie. Revelation uses all three of those phrases. We looked at three places in Revelation. To, to be dishonest, to practice immorality, or to have immoral thoughts, or to be covetous, or to, to be an, someone who argues and fights, or is, has hatred, or emulation, or variance, we looked at a number of things today that Paul said plainly, John said plainly, Jesus said plainly, that if you practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But did any of those men say if you practice those things, your case is hopeless? No, they said that if you're practicing those things, you aren't right. But Isaiah said, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thought and God will have mercy on him. Let him turn back to God, and he will abundantly pardon. That's true. But there are many wicked people who will never turn from their wicked ways, not because they never would, but because we don't speak plainly. They frankly don't even know that they're in danger. So it makes sense for us to be like Paul, and if we ever have an audience with someone like Felix, that we make sure that we give him a good chance. I don't mean that every time you see someone, you tell them what they're doing wrong. Jesus tried to be wise. He was wise, but he imitated for us how we should try to be wise. He was wise, and he looked for good opportunities. 
He looked for the best time to confront someone, but he did confront them. And it looks to me in my Bible study, like in the life of Judas, Jesus was always looking for a good time and never could find one. But there came a point when Judas was at the very end of his life, and that's when Jesus just went ahead and gave him a chance. Not that Judas was ready, but there's no opportunity after the grave. So what did Jesus do? He spoke plainly. Speaking plainly doesn't earn us anything with heaven. It doesn't make us right. But speaking plainly gives people a chance. And when we speak the same way Jesus does, that's similar to faith. And when we include with our plain speaking the hopefulness of turning and receiving mercy, then we're giving the gospel. When we give the gospel, we're working with Jesus, and there's no way to be closer to Jesus than to work with him today. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.